Let's get in our Bibles this morning. Go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, and let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time we have together now. We believe your word is alive. It's quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Thank you, Lord, that it brings life to us, health to our flesh, wisdom to our minds. Lord, we look to you now. Give us utterance in the Holy Spirit, I pray, boldness to speak your word. And I thank you that signs and wonders always confirm the word of God. Thank you. In Jesus' name, we give you the praise. Amen. Amen. All right, Matthew 16. And uh, verse 18, I want to read three scriptures here to start this morning and, uh, and then share with you some things after that. Matthew 16, uh, verse 18, Jesus said here, talking to Peter, and I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. All right, the gates of Hades or hell shall not prevail against it. What is the Lord Jesus doing according to this verse? He is building his, what? He is building his church. That's priority with the Lord. That's always been priority for, for this uh, dispensation that we live in, that the Lord is building his church. I believe firmly that the Lord is not only building his church around the globe, but he is building this church. He's building our particular local church and, uh, and that the Lord Jesus himself is involved in establishing this church. Now, how many know the Lord builds a church not by himself, Right? But the Lord builds His church through His church, <laughs> with His church, with us. He uses people who don't know everything. He uses people who, who are, you know, trying to figure it out as we go oftentimes. Um, but the Lord is still building His church through His people. And, uh, and so we're involved with something that God is involved with. Even just being here today, we are involved with the plan of God. You know, it's nice to know sometimes, you know, many times people are saying, Lord, bless what I do. Lord, bless this, bless this, bless this. You know, there's another approach, and that's getting involved with something that the Lord is blessing. Amen. You don't even have to ask Him to. You don't have to, you, don't have to uh, you know, try to get the Lord to put His hand on something if you're involved in something that He initiated, that He is involved with, that He ordained. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians Chapter 3 and verse 17, 317. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Or you could say freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We could say it this way, because we know, we know the word Lord there, that simply means He's the Master, He's the boss, He's in charge. Where the Spirit of God has a right to rule and reign where the Spirit of God is enabled to um, direct us and order our steps aright, then there is freedom. If we're just doing our own thing, approaching it our own way with our own, you know, standards, our own reason for doing it, well, there could be bondage there. But where the Spirit of the Lord is and God gets involved with and where He has freedom to operate, freedom to move, freedom to have His plans and purposes be established in a church, then there's freedom. Sadly, the opposite could also be true, that uh, if we, we could be doing things, quote, in the name of the Lord, and doing things with God's name written all over it, but how many know if it's just our plan, if it's our way of doing it, it's just our agenda, well, actually, very many 
very often religion produces bondage in people's lives. I mean, it's sad, but people are worse off when they get around spiritual things. But but it doesn't have to be that way, not supposed to be, where the Spirit of God is given free reign, where He is given opportunity to direct, to instruct, to move. Freedom comes. Freedom. There's nothing better than being free from all kinds of bondage, all kinds of junk, things that bind in the mind, things that, that hold us back in many ways. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy, the third chapter. And verse 15, Paul now writing to Timothy, he said, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. Notice Paul's reason for writing to Timothy. He said, I'm coming, but I could, I could be a bit, might get delayed, so I wanted to write to you ahead of time. So you know how to conduct yourself in church. Is it interesting that there is a right way to conduct yourself in church, thereby implying there must be a wrong way? There's a right way to think about church. There's a right way to think about what God is doing, what His plan is. There's a wrong way. Has there ever been wrong conduct in church? Well, apparently so. Otherwise, you wouldn't even need a book like this. You wouldn't even need instruction as to how we're supposed to conduct ourselves if there were no right and wrong way. So I don't know about you, but that stirs me a little bit to think, how am I supposed to think about church? How am I supposed to act in church? Is it possible that you've been coming to church for a long time, been acting wrong? <laughs> is, it, is it in the realm of possibility that we could have been doing church and have done it in the wrong way? Well, that is in the realm of possibility. So we should always be seeking the Lord because we want freedom. We want that liberation from the Spirit of God. We want Him to have free course. We want the Lord Jesus Himself to be involved in building our church. That's something I can uh, wrap my arms around, something I can get a grip on and be a part of, something that I know the Lord Jesus is doing, something that I know the Holy Spirit has free course to rule and reign and have His operations in, and something that I know is where we are being instructed by the Lord as to how to operate, okay? And again, now, the way we conduct ourselves um, and what we do, what we, per- what we do, what we don't do, what we permit to happen, um, it will create a particular climate in our church. Almost like you think of the, the plant world and, and, you know, we've got deserts, we've got tropics, uh, how many know certain climates are more conducive to growth? I mean, you go out to the desert, there's just not a lot growing out there, right? It's barren. There's not, not a lot there. Why? Well, the climate, the atmosphere, the, uh, the environment around there is just not real good for growing a lot of things. But you go to some parts of the world, and man, everything grows. <laughs> it, it grows without trying. You don't have to have a sprinkler system. It just, it's just, uh, it's warm and wet, <laughs> and, uh, and stuff grows and grows and grows. Likewise, I believe that in a church, in any given church, you can create a, an environment for things naturally to grow, for things to increase, for things to thrive and be healthy and do well. Right at the same time, if we create the wrong climate, spiritual climate in a place, 
it's just really tough to grow. You got a few cactuses that'll do they'll do well. <laughs> you, you know, you got a few people that don't need much. <laughs> they'll thrive no matter where they go. But if, for the most part, there's not going to be a whole lot of uh, of health and life and so forth. And so today, I want to share with you a little di- different type of message. This is called the church I don't want. I want to share with you about the church I do not want. And hopefully, we can be on, on the same page. We can be a part of this thing together. And uh, I know this. This is, not, this is not one man show. I can't make everything happen. But I know this. When we get a group of people together, we're going the same direction, the same way, the same time, the same motivation. Uh, man, we can tear things up <laughs> in a good way, I mean. We can make a difference in our city. We can make a difference in this world. Uh, we can give the devil a black eye. He's already got a bruise on his head. And... Uh, you know, and, and we, we can really make a difference in this world if we get going the same direction. So to the degree that you can jump on board and, 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 and agree or submit, either one, uh, with, with, the, with these principles, then I think we can, uh, we, we can go the right direction, okay? Number one, number one, the church I don't want, I don't want a dead church. <laughs> Hopefully no one here came desiring that today. I don't really think that you did. I don't think we have trouble uh, being in agreement there. But I do not want a dead church. I'm not particularly talking about uh, where people aren't saved. Obviously, that's the case. Uh, or where people are not growing in a, in a spiritual way, growing in their knowledge of God and so forth. I'm not even referring to that. Um, I, I don't want a, a dead church when it comes to the way that we look, the way that we respond you call me dead looking? <laughs> Just don't yelp and we won't, no one will know it's you. Uh, I, I don't want a dead church in regards to response. Many people have been trained. I don't know where this, it probably came from church, I don't know. <laughs> but they, they have been trained that when it comes to the things of God and spiritual activity, that they should be very reserved. But when it comes to other things in life, be yourself. But when you get in church, there's this sadness almost. It looks that way. There's this reservedness that comes over people. And and I don't really see that in in the Word of God. I don't see Jesus acting that way. I don't envision the Father God in heaven being that way. And so when I say, I don't want a dead church, what am I talking about? I'm talking about things like worship. I don't want dead worship where people are just kind of, you know, or just singing the songs with no expression, no feeling, no emotion, no passion, no I'm... I really mean this, just kind of going through the motions, just kind of doing the externals. You know what I'm talking about here? That's not, what, that's not what I desire. I don't think that's right. I'm talking about even when the Word goes out, like we're teaching now, and, and, and when the Word of God goes forward. Many people have been trained somehow or have thought it to be normal that when you're in church, you just kind of have a plain, dead, flat look on your face, and you can't be expressive and, and responsive to the Word of God. I, I think it's disrespectful to the Lord 
that when he says something, we just kind of go, hmm. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, if you're talking with someone if, if, and, and, and you, you, you're sharing with them, you're pouring out your heart to them, and they just kind of stare at you like, like you're saying nothing. I mean, I don't know about you. I, I probably wouldn't appreciate that too much in a, in a one-on-one. I think we need to learn to be responsive, even if we're just reading the Bible. Mm. See it. The Lord himself is talking to us. And when we get in church, you know, we get in church, there should be response. I, I know sometimes people will say, you know, I'm more of a reserved person, and that's not really not my personality. Uh, I'm not really talking about personality here. I'm talking about God talking to you. <laughs> I'm talking about us being aware of the things, things of the Lord. But, but honestly, I question some of that. I know we all have different personalities, and some people are bubbly, and some people are not, and, and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. But it's interesting how some who will never, ever, almost will argue against showing some kind of feeling, emotion when it comes to church and things of God, and they'll say, that's just the way I am. Well, what about when you're angry? You know those people who will never show excitement? They'll never exhibit any kind of happiness and like, wow, about them. When they're angry, man, all of a sudden a fire comes out, doesn't it? All of a sudden they're not so reserved. All of a sudden they're willing to lift their voice. And uh, do you think that's hypocritical at all? I think it is. I think, I mean, obviously we ought to control things like anger, but if I'm willing to express myself when I'm unhappy, come on now, I ought to be willing to express myself when I'm happy, <laughs> when the Lord is moving in my life. Amen. Well, I, well, you, that's not me. I'm not that way either way. Well, you are when you're watching the sports game, you know, and, and, and when something you're rooting for a team and people will scream at their TV, <laughs> people, if they're at the game, they'll yell and they'll you know, wear the colors and, and, you know, paint their face and, you know, some parts of the country, you know, they take off their shirts when it's 20 degrees <laughs> and, and, uh, and all kinds of stuff. People get very fanatical when it comes to certain activities, but when it comes to church, <clears throat> No smiles, no laughter, no, no feeling of anything. All right. Anybody with me today? Come on now. <laughs> let's, be, let's be responsive to the things of God. Whether we're talking about our worship and praise, we're talking about hearing the word, let's be those who respond. When the Lord speaks to you, come on, answer him. Have you, anyone, any of you ever had children that you, you said something to them and they, they, they just kind of looked at you and they didn't respond? I, I don't know about you, we've had this conversation in my house. Uh, excuse me, <laughs> you need to respond to what I said to you. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. All right, number two. Number two, the church that I don't want. So I don't want a dead church. Number two, I don't want an idle church. I don't want an idle church. Many people will talk about what should be done, but they don't ever do anything for God. And this is a problem in Christianity as a whole. Man, people become... After they've been saved for a while, they become educated. They know the scripture. They'll, they can tell you the verse. They can tell you the Greek word it was translated from. They've got the CD series on everything you can think of. They, they can, uh, you know, a bucket of knowledge. They've been through the classes, have the certificates, <laughs> everything else, but so frequently are not doing anything with what they have been given. Many times they become busybodies. 
That's common when someone's not doing something. They get involved with other people's business. And they talk about what everyone else has not been not doing, what they should be doing. They, you know, gossip comes in in that situation. But I want us to be clear about the fact that there's a difference in praying for the lost, in shedding tears for lost souls, and actually sharing the gospel with another person. Actually bringing a lost person to church with you. And many have, I think we get comfortable thinking, oh yeah, we prayed today. And good, we're going to continue praying. Come on now. We believe in it and that's a big part of it. But so many people, they get satisfied with, I prayed for this person. I just, you know, I really feel this. Oh yeah, the Lord really breaks my heart for this, this group of people. Or I really feel it for this group. Well, what are we doing to make a difference? Hmm. I think we ought to refuse to cry about something we're not going to do, do something about. And not to take away from the whole prayer side and all that, all that kind of thing. But you know, the, the church that I really envision, the church that I see, there are people everywhere doing something. Everybody has a job. Everybody is in the ministry. Everybody is serving. I mean everybody. I mean I've new people come and they won't be doing anything the first week, but the second week they have a job. Second week, they've got a badge or a t-shirt or, you know what I'm saying? They're they're somewhere and everywhere you look, there's someone doing something. People can hardly get out of their car without someone being there saying, hi, how you doing today? Well, I mean, we're we're just serving one another, serving people as they come and just, you know, just activity galore. That's what I see. That's what I think, that's what I think is a better picture of the church that the Lord Jesus is building. That's what I think is a better picture of a place where the Spirit of God is having rulership, is having His way in a group of people. Number three, number three, the church that I don't want, I don't want a late church. I do not want a late church. There's something about late that's ungodly. There is something about on time that has God written all over it. I don't know about you, but I'm really glad that God is not late. (laughs) I'm glad that God doesn't show up just after the nick of time. You know, just after I needed it, just after I I needed that resource, just after I needed that healing, just after I needed that, that answer to my prayer, and then the Lord showed up. He's faithful. To always be there on time. And we are children of Him. We are born of Him. His DNA is in us. What ought that say about us? We ought to be prompt. We ought to be on time. I think sometimes people don't, don't give the proper respect to, to a time or a, a meeting. And a, a, a meeting time, an appointment with God. We should have many of those in our lives. Appointments. Time set aside in particular. Someone said, I'm with the Lord all the time. Ah, you're not. <laughs> sure we are, but that's watering the thing down. When, when do you set aside a time for the Lord? And if you say, Lord, we're going to meet. I'm going to be talking to you at 9 o'clock. Would you really show up late to an appointment with the Lord? Ah, but but it's just worship at the beginning and stuff and and video and <laughs> and uh, and this kind of thing. No, this is an appointment with God. 
I think we ought, to, we ought to have a standard in our lives that says whenever it comes to the things of God, that's more important than me showing up to work on time. And many, I know there's people that lose their jobs because they don't show up to work on time too. But uh, when it comes to the things of God, it should always be top shelf stuff. Man, this is, I, I'm meeting with the Lord here. I'm not showing up late with something of that great importance. Somebody say, oh me. Why, why, why do people uh, allow those things to happen in their life? Sometimes it's culture. You know, I want Chicano time. <laughs> so, and then people make excuses because of, their, because of different cultures, how they do everything late. Or we, all, we, we always just start. Well, this or these are the things of God. That's not the church I want to be a part of. When I, when I talk about all this stuff, I talk about me being a part of I am talking about the church I pastor. But if I was not a pastor... I'm talking about things that I would want as a, as a believer just to be a part of. Amen. And some people, I think they just lack excellence in their life. They lack that quality of, of punctuality and real reliability, and they're not a very reliable person. But I see people who value their time with God. Va- they value their time with the people of God. And they say, I'm going to make this important. I'm going to make sure I'm in bed on time the night before. I'm going to make sure I'm ready to go that day so nothing can keep me away from being a part of what God has for me. Number four. I got ten, by the way. I got ten. You know, help stay with me here. Number four, I do not want to be a part of an old church. (laughs) Of an old church. Now, <laughs> that, that, yeah, that usually raises some red flags in some people. Uh, you don't like old people? <laughs> of, course, of course I like old people. On my way to be an old person. <laughs> so is everybody else. <laughs> Not there yet, though. Amen. Uh, I do not want to be a part of an old ch- church. Now, of course... You're saying we don't want old people in our church. Absolutely not. Of course, we want all ages of people in our church. I am talking about age, by the way. I'm not using that in a figurative way. Um, but here's the thing. It, is, it can be very common for churches to stick with one generation of people. And everything they do revolves around this, a certain age and their style never changes, the way that they do things never is altered at all, and they continue through life. What happens is that church is dying because it no longer relates to those of upcoming generations and those of different ages, and so they can't relate, they don't plug in, become a part, and so the church stays, and how many know eventually that everybody in the church dies, <laughs> and, uh, and, and that's not a good thing. It, I believe every good church ought to be constantly changing, ought to be making adjustments, not to the Word of God, not to the things that are eternal and unchanging, but to the things in, in, in regard to things that are changing constantly with the culture and styles and ways and, and approaches to ministry so that we can continually to be effective in reaching people who are of various age groups. And so when I say I don't want an old church, I don't want to be limited in, in, in not reaching people who are children, 
people who are youth, people who are young adults. I want to be able to relate and bring the Word of God and the power of God to people of all generations. And here's the thing about that. All of us, no matter where we're at, because listen, every generation likes the things and the style that they grew up with. Or when they first came to church, that style, that, that certain form of, of ministry, they like that and they think everything else is unholy. <laughs> they think everything else is of the devil. I mean, I know a guy who, he, he gets nervous about drums in church. Now, he's a, real, he's a Christian. He just grew up and, and with this real conservative type of music stuff, and that kind of drums in church make him nervous. <laughs> it's like, okay, wow, uh, cool, you know. But if we, if we all, if, if any of us have this mindset that it's my way or the highway, it's my style, my preference, and, and I'm never going to expand because somebody else likes it different, we are severely going to limit our reach. In, in our ability to reach other people. Amen. So I don't want to be a part of an old church. We must do what it takes to reach people. And so we don't want to be so entrenched in our style that we won't do what it takes. Number five. Number five. I don't want to be a part of a weird church. I don't want a weird church. And when I say weird, I mean that literally in the, in the weirdest sense of the word weird. Uh, <laughs> Um, there is sometimes something that kind of goes along with the spirit-filled, charismatic type of movement and those who have experienced the fullness of the power of God, which I am fully embracing. All hands, all feet, all, everything up. That's me. That's what I love. I see it in the Word. I love the power of God. I love the gifts of the Spirit. I love visions and revelations and all this kind of stuff that some certain parts of the body of Christ, they just don't really operate in and accept. We love them, but they don't, but we do. But there's something we have to be aware of. Something that comes with that sometimes is weird. Is uh, <laughs> You draw weird people out of the woodwork. <laughs> They are attracted to what you're doing because they're going to be out there. And I don't know if you've ever met Christians that seem to just be out there. I mean, not questioning their salvation, but they kind of live in, a, in the ozone somewhere. They're just kind of, and they just, don't, they just have become so, um, in, in, in their mind, they would say more spiritually minded, but I don't really think that is correct, that the more spiritual someone gets, the stranger they get. Or the more they pray, or the more they get in the Word, the more unrelatable they are to the average person. I think just the contrary is true, that the, we, when we become spiritual, we operate in the power of God, that we, can, we are and should be very relatable. Think about Jesus. I mean, He related to all kinds of people, and He was Mr. Powerful, <laughs> Mr. Word Guy. And I really believe that we can have services that are full of the power of God, have the gifts of the Spirit, yet be relatable. And... Uh, but what we have to do is avoid um, certain Pentecostal baggage, certain things that are, that are just tradition passed on through groups, and they're not, really straight, they're not really from the Word. I mean, the gift is there, but the way that it's presented, I think we seek wisdom as to how we operate in the power of God, the Word of God, and the gifts of the Spirit, so that, again, we, we are viewed as normal but just different. But not not just in a in a weird kind of kind of way. Uh, I don't want to have services where where people feel embarrassed to bring their unsaved friends because you know you never know what sister so and so is going to do. <laughs> and you're thinking, oh, 
please, Lord. I'm begging my neighbor today, don't let so-and-so do that, you know, that thing that they do. <laughs> I, I think there should be a, 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 an attitude of, um, you know, a, an atmosphere where there's a comfort level where you, you know you can bring lost people and they're going to, it's going to be different for them, no doubt. They're going to hear some things they haven't heard or see some things they haven't seen, but not in a, not in a strange over-the-top way, or I would say it this way, a fleshy way, where the Spirit of God moving is kind of couched in some fleshy type of, um, t- t- you know, type of format. And again, I think it's possible to have the, a powerful move of the Spirit of God in such a way that's relatable to normal people. And, and many times what people have picked up was just, again, I think it's just religious baggage or Pentecostal baggage where it's just, uh, just styles and ways that people do things. I, you know, whenever we have services, you know, for worshiping God. I think it ought to be, in a, in a service like this, I think when you're on your own, you're in your home, you do it any way you want. In a service like this, we ought to look to not be a distraction. We ought to look to not just act, and again, this is not an opposition to one, of being alive. We can be alive and be excited and sing out and, 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 and be expressive to the Lord, absolutely. But you ever notice sometimes everyone's acting a certain way and doing good and worshiping God, and then there'll be one person, two people that kind of go so far out of the norm that everyone can't help but go. And people's attention is no longer on the Lord, but it's just on that person. Does that make sense? You know, or, you know, I believe in, like, when we worship, we should sing loud and sing out and praise God with a joyful noise and all this stuff. But, but listen, if everyone's singing at a, let's say, a scale of 1 to 10, everyone's singing at a 3, you shouldn't be singing at 10. Why? Because all the tension's just being drawn to you. Maybe you've sat by that person before. I don't know. <laughs> they thought they were auditioning for American Idol or, you know, <laughs> you know they're just, <laughs> just going for, and it's like ah okay you know is that enthusiasm or do you just want everyone to know you have a good voice amen <laughs> you ever you ever been at a service where there's a uh, i've been in this and i haven't everyone's off the hook today cuz i haven't seen any of this so it's good <laughs> uh, you ever been at a service where 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 someone's giving commentary the whole time you know, the preacher's saying something, and it's not they're just agreeing, saying that's good, amen, or, you know, all that's, uh, you know, that kind of stuff I think is real positive, and it's, it's responsive. But when someone, you know, the preacher says something, and then they say two, you know, two sentences. It's like, shut up, <laughs> you know? And then you're trying to, you know, you got someone who's new there, and they're, they're not even walking with the Lord at all, and they need to get saved, and, and they don't know what's going on. It's just, who's doing the preaching here? <laughs> and it's just chaotic. It's out of order. Amen. Anyway, I know in Jesus' ministry, sometimes the devil would speak up through people. Uh, not to call that all the devil, but, you know, it's literally. But devil would sometimes speak up people, through people. He'd say, I know who you are, Jesus, the Son of God. You know, Jesus would jump right on that. He wouldn't be thrilled with the manifestation. <laughs> Look, everybody. <sighs> Something's happening here. No, he'd say, shut up. <laughs> Come out. Quickly deal with it. Don't let the devil get any attention. He didn't want the attention to be on anything that was wrong. And so he'd jump on it. And, and we're not going to be just wowed by any kind of manifestation or and as long as something's happening. <laughs> All right, number five is weird church. Number six, six, I don't want a broke church. I do not want a 
broke church. What am I talking about? A church that doesn't have any money. A church that's broke. A church that's in poverty. A church that doesn't have the resources to do what it's called to do. And uh, many times, in this happens with pastors and ministers, in, in their fear of what people might think, they won't discuss finances, they won't discuss giving, and this absence builds a church with very little resources. I know of churches that are large, multiple thousands of people, and they're always broke. They're always out of money. You think, we well, have that many people, you should have a lot of givers, but they won't ever talk about money. They're afraid that someone's going to think, oh, you're just in it for this, you're just in it for this. And so they back off of a major Bible subject and really rob people. They do people disservice, and they do their community and their, their surrounding city disservice because they don't have the ability to go out and reach them. How many know the gospel's free, but the channel is not? The, the ability to get the gospel out to people costs money and to, and to put on programs and ministries and resources. And uh, I just, uh, I don't want to be a part of a group that worships money that much. They worships it so much they won't talk about it. And I know they think just the opposite. They say, oh, no, we don't care about money, so we don't talk about it. Just the opposite's true. So, they think it's so holy. So, it's so we can't touch that. You know, I know those who brag about the, the limited resources that they have personally. Oh, I, you know, ministers who will brag about how little money they make. They'll brag about how, how, how little of car they drive. I drive an old car and... and, and, and I guess it shows sacrifice. I don't know. It shows commitment. I think it's dumb. I really do. I don't think that's smart at all. Why? Because we don't, we don't, not supposed to have poverty mentality. We're not supposed to think small and think, think poor. We're supposed to think big. We're supposed to think God is rich. <laughs> He's on the throne. He finances your life and finances the ministry. Amen. Amen. And so I don't want, number six, a broke church. Number seven, number seven, I don't want a boring church. I do not want a boring church. I see God as anything but boring. I don't think that we're going to be sitting on a cloud playing a harp for eternity. You know, I don't know about you, that sounds like really boring to me. Maybe you're a harp player and you think that sounds fun, but... But forever, on a cloud, in a robe, in a little white robe, you know, just playing a heart. No, I don't think God is that way. I, I believe God is exciting. I believe that there, there will never be a dull day throughout eternity. Because God is not a boring God, but, oh, it's so sad. What have we done? People in the world think church is boring. People come to church, ah, oh, let me bring my pillow because I'm going to get a good nap. Man, that's tragic. Not only, I think, is that just, not that people really bring a pillow, but uh, it's disrespectful to the Lord. But I think sometimes I'm, you know, I'm pointing at the ministry and those who are leading because, you know, they're the ones conducting services and, and teaching and preaching without an, without an anointing and, uh, and not represent, re- representing God accurately. And I know even in saying this, I put the pressure on myself because if it's a boring service, you know, where does the buck stop? If I'm doing the ministering, I just know this. I've got to have a commitment to represent God accurately, to bring His Word forth in power and demonstration and, and revelation so, so people's lives are changed. I don't think there's anything boring about that. Amen. 
but church is never meant to be. This is not what I envision. This is not the church I want to be a part of. A boring church where everyone just can't wait, man, just constantly looking at, just can't wait because as soon as they get out, smiles come. Just thinking about that golf afternoon all day long. And, and uh, why? Because we're in, we're in church. God is anything but boring. Amen? Let's represent Him well. And I'm talking about a church, I'm talking about with the kids. Our kids' classes shouldn't be boring. Our youth services shouldn't be boring. Our other stuff. Anytime we're doing something for the kingdom of God, there ought to be, it ought to be done with, with an excitement. Amen? All right, number eight. Number eight, I don't want a self-focused church, a self-focused church. This is a church where the people are consumed with their personal preferences, needs, and wants. They're not focused on others, the lost, and the mission of the church. And so often, that becomes the case. I don't like this. I prefer this. I don't like it when, this is way, when it's done this way. I like it when this is done. And they don't realize that in all their conversations, the central focus is, hi, it's all about me. And here's the, new, here's, the, here's the truth of the matter. There are no churches, zero, that do everything right. There are absolutely no churches that will serve all of one individual's preferences. They will do it every single way that you like it, period. Because even if they did, it wouldn't be a, but a matter of time until your preferences would change a little bit. And you wouldn't like it that way anymore. It's just an impossible scenario. But a church that I want to be a part of is a church that is outward focused. Where the individuals in the church are more concerned with, is someone else's need being met? Is someone else being ministered to? Then is everything perfect according to my holy standards? According to my righteous thinking? Which of course is perfectly in tune with God at all times. (laughs) And uh, many times, though, these people become complainers, they become discontent, nitpickers, always mindful of what's wrong in their minds, not mindful of solutions. Let's be a church that is looking for answers. Let's be a church that is looking for a way to do it better, to improve our, our level of, of quality and ministry and effectiveness so that we can reach a lost and dying world instead of just being all focused on ourselves, a bless me club. That, that, that type of thing. All right, let me give you two more here today. Number eight, number eight, the uh, kind of church I don't want is a legalistic church. Did I say not eight? Yeah, nine. Number nine is a legalistic church. I don't want a church that focuses on things that don't matter much. I don't want to major on, on, on rules and regulations and those type of things, but rather major on the grace of God, forgiveness, mercy, restoration, bringing people up, not knocking them down, not, not just having a, a, a rule list and a guide, guideline for everything under the sun. If it doesn't help to make things work or help to reach people, we don't need a guideline on it. We don't need a rule concerning that. You know, there's an old story about this, this uh, daughter who was asking her mom, because her mom was making a roast, and, uh, and she would always cut the end off of the roast before she put it in the oven. And she'd been watching her do it all this time. She cut the end off the roast and put it in the oven. She, her daughter asked the, asked the mom, said, well, why do you always cut the end off the roast? She said, well, I don't know. That's the way Grandma always did it. So she went to Grandma and said, Grandma, why do you always cut the end off the roast? <laughs> and, uh, 
And um, she said, well, honey, uh, when, when I she said, you don't have to cut the end off the roast, but when your mom was young, we had a pan that was too short. <laughs> and so the roast wouldn't fit in the pan, so we'd cut off the, the roast to make it fit. And then later on, of course, they're still cooking roast, and the pan is bigger, <laughs> different size, but they're still cutting the end off. How many times are we doing stuff? Why? There's no really real reason to it. We still got this practice in place. We're still doing the same thing just because that's the way we've always done it. I think we need to be analyzing and saying what's necessary, what's not necessary. And uh, I don't want to really want to focus on things like dress codes and putting laws and, and different, different uh, creating an environment where everyone's mindful of all the le- legalities of what's happening here. The law was designed to remind people of sin, to tell them that they needed a Savior. And so we should be as low on that. You always have to have structure and rules for certain things like that. But if it's not necessary, man, we just don't want to be about that. Majoring on extra biblical rules. All right. And then number 10. Number 10, I don't want a sloppy church. I don't want a sloppy church. This is the kind of church that does the bare minimum. They don't go out of their way to do things right. Facilities are dirty and in disrepair. No attention is paid to detail. I I think we should do everything we do for the Lord with an attitude and a spirit of excellence. We should do it going overboard, doing, like the nature of God, more than enough, as opposed to the bare bare minimum. And too many times people, uh, I, I just think they don't treat the things of God like they should. I don't think they honor the Lord with when they're involved in his ministry, whether they're involved in cleaning, whether they're involved in teaching a class, involved in serving others, man, we should do everything top shelf. We should have this attitude. I don't want to be a part of a group that doesn't care. Everything's crooked. Everything's messy. Everything's, no atten- again, no attention paid to detail. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is something he is building. It's, mo- it's more important that this be done right than anything else in this world because this is what matters for eternity. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stir ourselves up. If, this, if these things register with you, if they, if, they're, if they stir in your heart and you say, you know what, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of too or I don't want to be a part of that, let's work on this. We're not exactly, we're not starting from zero here, but I want us to up our game. Let's stir ourselves up to do better than ever before. Amen? Because this is the Lord we're talking about. Amen. Father, we love you today. We're so thankful for your goodness, your kindness, your grace. Lord, it is sufficient for us. You enable us and empower us and strengthen us to carry out your plan, to do your will in an acceptable way, to do your, your will in a, in a way that's pleasing unto you. And Lord, for this, we're grateful. For this, we're thankful. You're helping us and instructing us to move further, to do more than we've ever done before, to do it at a level and a quality that's higher and better than we've ever experienced in the past. Lord, as individuals, help us to get this. Help us to see this. Lord, like Paul prayed on the road to Damascus, Lord, what do you want me to do? May that be our prayer and our heart's cry today to find our particular assignment and our place in the body to make things work, to make things better. We give you all the glory and all the honor, all the praise for everything accomplished today. 
in the name of Jesus. Amen.